Dear fellow redeemed, we consider especially our second reading from 1 Timothy chapter 1. And as we begin, perhaps the stranger place to start might be last week. The Athanasian Creed, where we all stand up for about two and a half minutes and we read together the longest of the three ecumenical creeds. The longest of these statements that have been around for nearly two millennia, the longest of these statements that every Christian will confess, and the longest of these three ecumenical statements that every non-Christian will avoid, deny, downplay. And as we're reading through the Athanasian Creed, there was a statement or two, um, and it came up a couple of times. Whoever does not faithfully, firmly believe this cannot be saved. Whoever does not have this conviction of the Trinity cannot be saved. And then at the end of that second portion, at the end of time when Christ Jesus returns in judgment, all people will rise with their own bodies and their own transfers to their own personal deeds done in the body, whether good or evil. This is the true Christian faith. And you hear that. And every, every time that we read it, it kind of catches people's ears. And that doesn't sound like mercy. That doesn't sound like grace, does it? We realize, perhaps you don't, but we realize that grace and mercy are two sides of the same coin. That grace is God gives us what we don't deserve. The other side of that, mercy, that God doesn't give us what we do deserve. Grace, God gives us what we don't deserve. The declaration of righteous over the unrighteous. Mercy, God doesn't give us what we do deserve that he withholds his wrath and his punishment and his justice, all for the sake of Jesus. And that's what we, that's what we know, that's what we treasure. And even when we get to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, as Paul writes to young pastor Timothy, who he, whom he has been mentoring for quite some time, and he writes to Timothy with this words of encouragement, and he says, you know, I was a persecutor, a blasphemer, a violent man. Time out, Paul. Don't you realize that all people will rise at the end of time with their own bodies to answer for their own personal deeds? And then that first reading. Here's Moses. He's been shepherding for 40 years. He had spent the first 40 years or so of his life growing up in Pharaoh's palace and educated in the only superpower in the entire world. And he had this inkling one way or another that he was the one who ought to lead his people out of slavery Perhaps you remember how that ended as well, where he intervened on the Egyptian who was beating up some of the Israelites, and he ended up, ended up killing that man and hiding the body in the sand. And then the next day, two Israelites are squabbling. They're going to kill us too. Moses, you murderer. And now you walk up to this bush that is not burning up, and God speaks from this bush. The, the Son of God, most likely, speaks from this bush. You know, the Word made flesh. The Word speaks from this bush that is not burning up, and he could sit and watch this bush all day. I don't know about you, but when I sit by a campfire after an hour, an hour and a half, like, it's either burning out or we add more wood. But this bush just keeps going and going. And God speaks to him. And Moses has the audacity to say, I'm not so sure about this one. Maybe you want somebody else. 
And then of all the people that Jesus could have asked, there were people who were very well educated, very well connected. People who had friends in every corner of the city. And surely, surely, Jesus could have and should have called one of those people. Because then that person would invite all their friends, and then Jesus would have an entire crowd. Think of all the people. Think of how much better of a choice Jesus could have made other than this tax collector, Levi. He probably doesn't even have a single friend, aside from those who share the misery of the label. The label of a traitor, of a quizzling, of a cheat, of this one who would forsake his own people in order to make a buck off their back. And that's the one that Jesus chooses. Whoever does not faithfully and firmly believe this cannot be saved. At the end of time, all people will rise with their own bodies. The exact same body that you have now will be reconstituted and put back together. All people will rise with their own personal bodies to answer for their own personal deeds done in the body, whether good or evil. This is the true Christian faith. Thanks be to God. Amen. And how does it all fit together? The main idea that we're looking at um, here in these first couple of weeks after Pentecost is we, we have this, really for the entire season of Pentecost, God takes us on a tour throughout what the Christian church is supposed to look like. He takes us on a tour through the Christian church and through the rest of the book of Matthew. And during this time that we call ordinary time, because we're counting second, third, fourth, fifth Sunday after Pentecost, the ordinal numbers, during this time that we call ordinary time, God takes us on this tour, and he starts at the front. And the main message that we see today is that, is that in his mercy, in his withholding what, he, what we deserve, and in his grace, in his giving what we don't deserve, Jesus has called the sinful people to serve him. And that's kind of comforting. Because at the very least, from the example of Scripture and from the words of Scripture that we have here, we see that the same standard applies top to bottom. That it's not as though there's one set of rules for the people in the pew and another set of rules for those in the pulpit. It's not the way it's supposed to be. But there isn't. Because there's one God overall. One God who in his mercy wants to call people to follow him. One God who wants to demonstrate his mercy to sinful people who cannot on their own approach God. There is one God who wants to share his gift of grace to people everywhere. He wants to share his gift of grace, his gift of forgiveness, more specifically to you. In whatever circumstance that may be, whether, whether it's young, old, somewhere in between, whether it's happy and healthy, or um, dealing with other difficulties, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ means that you have a God who cares for you. And what better way could God demonstrate this than by saying there aren't two different castes of people, there aren't two different segments or sections of people, but that all of us baptized into that same name, that all of us have been called by the same gospel, and that God, in his grace, chooses people like, like Moses, like David, like 
Paul, a blasphemer, persecutor, and a violent man, and like Matthew, and entrust into their hands the message of truth, the message of forgiveness. The writer to the Hebrews picks up on one of those questions that I had earlier. Surely there is somebody with better reputation, better people skills, better social connections in the community than Matthew. I mean, aside from the fact that he probably knew everybody in his district, <laughs> surely Jesus could have chosen somebody else. The writer to the Hebrews take the, takes this to the next extreme. Well, why didn't God just choose angels? An angel can get the right date on a bulletin, for heaven's sake. You can laugh at that one. I'm laughing at that one. An angel would be able to do everything perfectly and right on time and doesn't have to be bound by the constraints of time and space in the same way that you or I are. An angel knows God's will perfectly and keeps it perfectly. Surely, surely that could have been a better choice. Do you remember how the writer to the Hebrews put it? That Jesus didn't become an angel to save angels. He became a human save humans. That when the angels rebelled against him, that some were consigned and sent away, confirmed in their wickedness and unable to repent. But when Adam and Eve sinned against him, he said, I've got an idea, I've got a plan, and I'm going to send my son born from you. That the Son of God, in his grace and his mercy, chose to join our humanity that the Son of God, in His grace and His mercy, has called us to follow Him. That the Son of God, in His grace and His mercy, has brought you here by His gospel. That the Son of God, in His grace and His mercy, wants to extend that same proclamation through His people. And that's why, just over five years ago, um, Pastor Hagen was installed here. That's why, about five and a half years ago, on a Wednesday morning, Dave Sipes called me and said, Hi, I'm, I'm Dave Sipes from... Um, Resurrection Lutheran Church in Maumee, Ohio, and I'm like trying to talk to him and look up where's Maumee at the same time. <laughs> but that's why we're here. Because the Son of God didn't come to you and find you in a tax collector's booth. He didn't call you from a burning bush. He didn't say, oh, by the way, I know that whole persecution thing, that's all in the past. And the Son of God came to you right there in the water. The Son of God came to you through the example of, of Christian parents or grandparents who brought you to church. And over time, even if you were sleeping, over time you started to wake up and listen. That the Son of God came to you through the voice of another friend, and that voice may have started off by saying, hey, I'll bring you to church, and then I'll bring you to Bob Evans, and you have your choice of about 17 of them within five minutes of church. Also true. That the Son of God earnestly desires to do his work of changing hearts and of bringing comfort and of demonstrating mercy, which is the withholding of his wrath and of demonstrating grace for his own sake, which is the giving of his righteousness and his forgiveness as your own beloved possession. And even though the translation of our psalm today uh, is a little strange, it limps a little bit, the law in their mouth is more dear than gold or silver heaps, as that last line of our psalm. That when the psalmist is talking about God's law there, he's talking about God's book. 
in the context of both law and gospel, that the word of our God, the assurance and the certainty that the Son of God has shown you mercy and grace is more dear and more valuable than the price of silver, gold, platinum, copper, lithium, you name it. But it still kind of comes back to that one question. So then, Pastor Hagen, why? Why does the Athanasian Creed say, whoever uh, does not faithfully, firmly believe this cannot be saved, and then that other part that we'll all rise with our own personal bodies, stands for our own personal deeds, that doesn't sound like grace alone now, does it? It's the exact same question as saying, Pastor Hagen, I know I've got something that's a, a public sin in my life now, or my heart isn't right with God, or I don't share in your church's public confession, but why am I not allowed to come to the Lord's table? It's all the same thing. That God, that God uses his law in order to provide protection for his gospel. That God uses his law to prevent people from taking advantage of his gospel, as if to say, this, this gospel of forgiveness means that I can do whatever I want. By the way, that's the whole thesis of the book of Romans, if you haven't read that recently. That God uses his law, and that statement of the law is, is echoed there in, um, in the Athanasian Creed, because God desperately, and he seriously, wants to demonstrate mercy and grace. And he does so on his terms. He does so through the call of his son. He does so, and he distributes his own body and blood here, together with the bread and the wine, for the forgiveness of sins. But that forgiveness is only ever always received through faith, not by our own personal deeds, but holding to, holding to what God says is bad and saying, don't worry about it, nothing to see here, it's not a problem because everybody's doing it. Holding to sin and defending it is not the attitude of faith. That's what the Athanasian Creed is really getting at. And that's the harsh truth that, that you know and that I know. Because God has called sinners to serve in the public ministry. That even though it may have come in the form of a phone call and then a letter in the mail, that the call came from Jesus Christ no less. That the call wasn't simply a congregation saying, we need a pastor, we need to fill the pulpit, and let's get on with it. But the call is Jesus Christ himself saying, this is the place where I want to put a fallible and dorky young man so that he can echo back exactly this same grace and mercy of our God. And that this is the place where you sit here because Jesus wants you here. Now, this is the place where you sit here with people. Just look around. And that's one of the beautiful things about the architecture here. You can actually look around. And you see that the people that God has brought here to this place are people who share in that same grace and mercy in the exact same way. That we all, that there's no difference aside from the fact that I'm called to do publicly um, what you carry out privately in, in your own life, which is to say that I am called to do publicly on behalf of the church, the baptism, the Holy Communion, the, um, the teaching, the correcting, with God's word, what you are also called to do privately, which is the, the teaching and the correcting. That the sacraments 
belong to the church. God's word belongs to all of us. And that Jesus, through his church, has called me to oversee these things so that they are carried out properly and carried out well. But we all have the same set of guidelines. We are all under the same mercy and grace of our God. We all have the same tool of law and gospel entrusted into our hands. And this is a truth that we want to hold on to as strongly as possible. And so we occasionally take three minutes to read through the Athanasian Creed so that we remember who our God actually is, that we don't get deluded by all the, uh, the nice smiling people that I see walking around these days with their little pamphlets, that we read through this Athanasian Creed so we don't get um, brainwashed into thinking that God is simply some permissive guy who just pats you on the head and says, okay, I love you, go on your way that God truly is a holy God, that the place where you are sitting is holy ground, that when you come here, that Jesus Christ does come to you, not in the form of a burning bush, but underneath the bread and the wine, to hide himself and to give to you exactly what he has always wanted to give, his mercy, his grace. Amen.